John 13, we're going to read 1 through 17 and then skip down, as you would probably assume, to verse 31 and read to 35, and then we'll flip back over to Hebrews 13. John 13, verse 1 through 17, and here we have Jesus um, in what we call the upper room discourse, his final moments with the disciples, his final opportunity to teach them. And it begins, the upper room discourse begins in John 13 and goes all the way through 17. Uh, finishes at the high priestly prayer in John 17. But we want to see in John 13 the love of Christ, and not just see the love of Christ, but see that Christ calls us to love as He loves. John 13, beginning in verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that His hour had come to depart of this world to the Father, having loved His own who were in the world, He loved them to the end. During supper... When the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given given all things into his hand and that he had come from God and was going back to God, he rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garment and, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing, you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord... And you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is no greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things... Blessed are you if you do them. Let's jump with me to 31. When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now, that being Judas, had gone out. Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you, you will seek me, and just as I have said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. Verse 34, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples If you have love for one another by this, all people will know that you are my disciples. If you have love for one another. Now let's make our way to Hebrews 13 for verse one. Turn with me to Hebrews 13. Verse one. Let brotherly love continue. Let's pray. Father, 
speak to us. Speak to us the truth of your word. Speak to us the teaching of your son. Lord, not just verbally, but plant it down deep in us. Again, as we've asked many times this morning already, that it would change us for your glory. By the Spirit of, your God, by the Spirit of God, in the name of your Son. Amen. Okay, so let brotherly love continue. That's, that's the passage for this morning. Um, this evening I hope to come back tonight and sort of fill in some blanks from 2 through 5. Um, but as of this morning, it's just the first verse. Let brotherly love continue. And before we look at the text, uh, I'm going to challenge your heart this morning. I want to put your heart to the test, okay? I want to put your love for the brethren, for the saints, on the scales. I want to see how, I want you to see how you measure up when it comes to brotherly love. And I warn you, I... um, in preparation for this, I have done that very same thing to myself. I have weighed my heart, my love for the saints, for my brothers and sisters in Christ, and I have come up wanting. I have come up short. And this morning I hope that you will honestly evaluate your heart when it comes to the people that are sitting in the pews next to you. Brotherly love as we begin, is a non-negotiable. Brotherly love is a non-negotiable, meaning you can't bargain, you can't change, you can't remove, you can't subtract. Brotherly love, or we could say love of the brethren, as it says in the NASB, love of the saints, as we spoke of last week, love of the brothers and sisters in Christ. But most importantly, as it pertains in our context, for the ones who are surrounding you right now, and even for the ones that aren't here. Um, we all, we've heard the saying, we know the saying, we've said it before, uh, in the context of different things. It's just not the same without it. You've said it, I've said it, we've heard people say it. Um, maybe your favorite restaurant, they take out something on the menu, and you're like, this place just isn't the same without it. Uh, perhaps your favorite ride at Silver Dollar City is taken out. I've heard one of them's getting taken out here pretty soon, and it might just not be the same without it. Maybe a family tradition or even a loved one who passes and you can just say that Christmas just isn't the same without them. When it comes to Christianity, if you remove love from the equation, it's not enough to just say it's not the same without it. You remove love from the equation of Christianity and you can say it just isn't. Apart from love, there is no Christianity. In the same vein, without love, you cannot call yourself a Christian. If you have no love for the saints sitting in this room this very morning, we're hard to acknowledge your love for Christ. The Bible is very clear. Brotherly love, love for the saints is non-negotiable. Now, how we want to measure our hearts this morning? Well, the only measure that we have, and that's the Word of God. So what, we're, what I want to do very quickly is I want to read one, two, three, four, five passages from 1 John just to make sure we understand the weight of the calling to love one another. First John, towards the end of the New Testament, 
And I'm just going to state the, the, pat, the, the address and then read the verse and then move on to the next. Chapter 2, 9 through 11. I'm going to read and then I'm going to pause and I'm going to give you a moment to meditate on what we read here. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him there is no cause for stumbling. Whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Chapter 3, verse 10. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Verse 11. For this is the message that we have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Fourteen, chapter three, fourteen. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love our brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love. That he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. If anyone has the, wor the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Chapter 4, verse 20. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he does not love his brother whom he has, whom he has seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Today, this morning, I hope that we are all willing, ready, and desiring and to acknowledge our need of repentance in this area. I don't think there's anyone here, whether you've been here once or a hundred times, whether you've gone to seven churches or 70 churches, you've been a Christian for six months or 60 years, we must all be willing to Acknowledge, confess our failure at loving one another and turn from that sin and seek forgiveness. We must be willing to acknowledge we have fallen short in such a commandment, a commandment 
that is to show our true union with Christ. They will know you as my disciple because you love one another. There's a couple incorrect ways that we can approach church. And as I've thought through these, I've been in each one of these categories. And so I, I, I hope maybe this is helpful for some of you. There's a couple ways that I thought of that are incorrect in our way of approaching church or our gathering, our coming together. Um, some of us attend or come together in sort of the same manner we go to a public gym. Uh, we go for our spiritual workout. We want to go to church. We want to come and hear the preaching of the word because we know that we need to grow. And we come to church and we get our workout in and we go from station to station, equipment to equipment, all the while with our head down. Not paying attention to anyone else around us because we have one goal in mind. Our own spiritual growth. All the while, as we're trying to attain this righteousness, this spiritual strength, the person next to us might be sitting in weakness, struggling with the weight of a burden. But we don't see it because we're so concerned about our own growth. And in that, there's no love for the saints around you. Some of us, or sometimes in our life, maybe we come to church because it's our Christian duty. I'm not saying that we don't come to church because it is a duty. I'm not saying we don't come to church to grow. But when we come to church with the necessity or with the goal of self in mind, we miss the point. If we come as a Christian duty, we come because we think that we do it to please God. It's the thing we must do. Like the spiritual bodybuilder, we come for selfish reasons. I'm going to please God with my attendance today. All the while, the person sitting in front of you or behind you or to the left of you or to the right of you might be struggling with sin, might be struggling in a relationship, might be dealing with life-altering issues, struggling with their faith even, but you're unaware because you don't know anything about them. Because you're so concerned with your religious duty or your own spiritual growth. Somebody hear me, guys. Your duty to please God or your desire to grow in Christ will never go anywhere if you're not willing to love your brother, your sister, those who are around you. Let me combine Jesus' words in John 13 with what John then says in John 3. Just to sort of get, get an understanding of what Jesus was actually calling us to. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this all people know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. John puts a little bit of meat on it in John 1 John 3. Saying very similar words, by this we know love that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. By this all people will know that you are my disciples, that you are willing to lay down your life for your brothers. For your sisters. So I, I want us to feel the weight. Of what it is to love. 
as we've been commanded to love by Jesus. As we think about this text and not just think about it academically. Trying to grasp an understanding. You pull love out of the Bible. What do you have? So let's look at the text. It's not a lot to look at. It's just four words. But as we look at it, I want to ask three questions. How did brotherly love start? Number one. Number two. So who are we to love in this way? And number three. What does brotherly love look like? So we got to keep in mind one thing, that as we ended chapter 12, we were told to offer acceptable worship to God, who is an all-consuming fire. And we used three words a couple weeks ago to illustrate acceptable worship, and we used the words submissiveness, sacrificial, and sacred. Now, I don't think it's any coincidence that the author of Hebrews then states love in the next breath. When I think about love from the scriptures, those same three words, submissive, sacrificial, and sacred, come to mind. So, if we are to live in a way pleasing to God and offer acceptable worship, Because worship is a life of service, of drawing near to God. To do it apart from loving the saints will be impossible. So, first question, how does brotherly love start? Because I was reading this, let brotherly love continue. And yes, I understand it that he's acknowledging more than likely that his audience has loved one another, and he's asking them to continue in it. But it did have to have a starting point. And what was it? Well, the good news is is we don't have to go very far to find it. We can stay in, in Hebrews and see exactly where brotherly love starts. Look at chapter 2. Brotherly love, I'll just give you the answer, began and begins... With Christ, who is your elder brother? So if, if you went and reread Hebrews and you read chapter 1, you see the author of Hebrews is exalting the Son of God. He's exalting him by letting us know that he is the radiance of the glory of God. The Son of God is the exact imprint of the nature of God. The Son of God upholds the universe by the word of His power. The Son of God laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are His handiwork. But yet look at verse 9 in chapter 2. But we see Him, the Son, who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus. The creator of the universe, the radiance of the glory of God, him who upholds all things, was made lower than the angels. And if you continue on in that verse, you see that not only was he made a little lower than the angels, but he suffered unto death. And he tasted Death. And then we continue on in chapter 2, verse 10. And we notice, we're not going to look at every word because we've been here. We know, we're just, just going to get a reminder. If we look at verse 10 through 12, we reminded that God has a desire to bring through His Son many sons to glory. And He would have saved these many sons... And through a perfect Savior, 
And that perfect Savior would be made perfect through suffering. End of verse 10. So the Father desires to bring many sons to glory. He does it through His perfect Son, through His suffering. But look what the Son thinks of the many sons. Verse 11. For he who sanctifies those who are sanctified in all are all one source. Here it is. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation I will sing your praise. And again I will put my trust in him, and again, behold, I and the children God has given me. Jesus is not ashamed to call you his brother. But verse 14 through 18 gives us a clear understanding of where brotherly love begins, where our elder brother showed love for us first. Verse 14, since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through the fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. So his, do you not see here how the son has helped his brothers, how he has brought these sons into glory, those whom he is saving. He has partaken. He has tasted. He has worn flesh. He has condescended. He has robed his glory with flesh like ours. The sun was high. And he then he made himself low. Brotherly love begins in the the condescension of the Son of God. And what do I mean when I say condescension? Here's the dictionary definition. A voluntary descent or decline from one's rank of dignity in relation with an inferior or lower one. The Son who made all things became man for his brother's. Hebrews 2.9 For a little while he was made lower than the angels. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 He made him to be sin who knew no sin. What about chapter 8? Our Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich, yet for our sake became poor. That is the essence of brotherly love. What are we saying? But that the lowering of oneself for the sake of another is love. The lowering of oneself for the sake of another is love. By this we know love that he laid down his life for us. The greatest act of brotherly love is manifested, made known in the birth, life, and death of Jesus Christ because it was for someone. It was not a theological act. It was not something we are to understand or memorize. The the birth and life and death of Jesus Christ was an act of love towards Jesus. You. Look at me. Just to finish this first question. How did love, brotherly love begin? Look at John 15. And I saw something in John 15 that I'd never seen before. 
And I quite honestly never really understood. John 15, beginning in verse 12. He says, Jesus, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Love one another as I have loved you. Well, how much did he love them? Well, he explains it in verse 13, doesn't he? Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. How was his love manifested? It was manifested in his giving up of himself, laying down his life. But when I look closer at verse 13, and I've never quite understood the word friends. It's never really made a lot of sense to me. And I think it's because we have such a shallow view of friends these days. As I was comparing um, the Greek text here, I'm not just by looking at Strong's and some other things, I noticed the word friends in John 15 here is used... In Hebrews 13.1. The, the, the term in Hebrews 13.1 that is translated brotherly love or love of the brethren is a word you're all familiar with. You know Greek, whether you knew it or not. It's Philadelphia. You all knew Greek and didn't know it. And you actually know, most of you probably know what that word even means. What What is... What do we call Philadelphia, the, the city? The city of brotherly love. See? Now, that Greek word, Philadelphia, is two words. It's a compound word. Uh, Phyllis and Adelphia, or something of that nature. Um, Phylos and Adelphos. Phylos Fond like a friend, Adelphos, brother. That same word, the beginning of brotherly love, Philos, Philadelphia, you can hear in the word there, is the same word Jesus says in John 15. Greater love than this, than anyone lay down his life for his Philos. The fondness. Jesus had for his brothers was so deep that he laid down his life. He gave up himself for his brothers, for his friends, for those whom he is fond of. You have to understand, Christian, when you were still an enemy, Jesus was not ashamed to call you a brother. When you were a rebel to God and his ways, Jesus died in your place as your friend. This is the ultimate act of love, of brotherly love, giving up oneself giving up one own interest for the sake of another. And that's why Peter can proclaim, by his wounds you are healed. By his love you are made complete. You have a reason to rejoice that is greater than any in this world, in this life, in this universe, to rejoice in the love of Christ to you as a sinner. He loved you as a friend. You were made a saint by the righteous life of Christ and by the spilt blood of the Lamb of God. And he is not ashamed to call you his brother. Brotherly love begins with Christ, who is our elderly brother. Now, the second question to ask as we 
begin to make our way back to Hebrews 13. We'll stop at a few places along the way. So who are we to love? Who are these brothers? Now, if, if I said, okay, Christian, who are you to love? And you said all people, you would be right. But in Hebrews 13.1, it doesn't say all people. Specifically says brothers or brotherly. I'm thankful for the NASB translation because it says, let the love of the brethren continue. That helped me kind of think through it a little bit better. And in all the commentaries I read, all the books, all the Bible notes that I referenced in preparation for this, all were united in the reality that the love spoken of in Hebrews 13.1 is towards saints, towards the church, towards Christians. And most narrowed it down, most of the commentators narrowed it down to the ones whom you gathered with regularly. The ones whom you have covenanted with. We are to love the family that has been created and united by the love of Christ. So whom are you to love? Whom are you to love? The ones whom Christ laid down his life for. The ones you gather with Sunday by Sunday. The ones you share in Christ. So as we make our way back to Hebrews, stop at chapter 3. As we make our way back to Hebrews, stop at chapter 3. Just very quickly. So we've just seen in chapter 2 the brotherly love of Christ to put on flesh, to taste death, to be the propitiation for the sins of His brothers. And then verse 1 of chapter 3 starts off, Therefore, holy brothers. Holy brothers. Same word from Philadelphia, Adelphos, but with the adjective holy. Hagios. So what makes this? What makes holy brothers? It is what we share in. It is what we have in common. And that is in Christ. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus. And look at chapter or verse 12 of chapter 3. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ. That's whom you are to love with a brotherly love. Those whom you share Christ. For the church... In Christ, you guys are family. That's the whole point here. Brothers. Now, the the Greek the Greek term, uh, if you've got a certain translation, uh, like I've got a footnote that says that that's a term that can go either as brothers or sisters. But the point being is that we are a family, a holy. Family. You are not individuals who happen to be working out at the same gym. Right? You aren't people who are paying dues to the same club. You're not individual pilgrims on a long journey. You're brothers and sisters. Your children of God brought together by the love of your father and your elder brother. Jesus defines those who do the will of his father as his brothers 
and sisters. You know, we're getting real close to the doctrine of adoption that we looked at in February. Born into the family of God. To all who did receive Him, Christ, He gave the right to become children of God. And if children, brothers and sisters. There's a hymn that some of you may know. One is not in any of our hymnals. But it says, Blessed be the tie that binds our hearts in Christian love. The fellowship of kindred minds is like to that above. What is the tie? It's Christ. Why are we here? It's Christ. Why do we want to covenant together? It's Christ. Because we share in the love of Christ. And so whom are you to love? The Christians around you. So what does brotherly love look at? Well, Hebrews 3 already starts to define it for us. Hebrews 3 starts to define it for us. We get a sense of brotherly duties. You remember what Cain said to God after he had murdered his brother? Am I my brother's keeper? Why, yes, you are. The, the bond of family is love. And with true love comes true care for one another. Look at verse 12 and 13 again. Take care or take heed, brothers, lest there be any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. What is your responsibility to one another? That you preserve, that you persevere that you endure, that you continue in the faith. You're there for one another so that when, hey brother, I see you in sin. I know you might not be able to see it, but I can see it. Or hey, watch out for that place or this place. Or I see that you're low or hurt. The only way that we could be responsible for one another is in love for one another. The only way we can care for one another's hearts, and it is your responsibility to care for one another's hearts. Okay, we're going to take a quick tour to see what this love looks like. Galatians chapter 6. Verse 1, Galatians 6, verse 1, you'll notice a familiar word to begin the section. Brothers, family. If anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritually should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Are you ready for that? You ready to apply that? You love one another enough to do that? Do you know one another enough to do that? If anyone is caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself lest you be to be tempted. Bear another's burdens. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Are you so concerned about getting pumped up on your spiritual goodness and knowledge that you are unwilling to help lift a burden from a brother or sister? For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Verse 6, let the one who has taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh from all the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity... 
Let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. How about Ephesians chapter 4? Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31 and 32. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Verse 32. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. What motivated Christ's forgiveness? His love. Not so sure about that? Check, check out the next verse. Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. There it is, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. It is our worship to love as Christ has loved us. Philippians chapter 2. You know this section. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being of full accord with one mind, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each one of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, whom though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Go back to verse chapter, verse 3. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each one of you look not only to his own interest, but to the interest of the others. Before we move on, I want to say this. Your loving one another is not a, it's not a got to. It's a get to. This isn't a burden that you bear. It is a privilege you get to carry. Because guess what? We should be doing it to one another. And so we should be bearing one another's burdens and carrying one another's hearts and loving one another and looking out for one another. This isn't, I've got to do this. It's that I get to do this. So don't, don't feel this as saying, this overreaching pressure to get to know and be friendly. No, no, no. You share Christ with one another. You get to care for one another in Christ. You get to preserve one another and love one another. And check up on one another. Colossians 3. Verse 12. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Let me say this. This is breaking news. Family members sin against you. Your church family will sin against you. But there's two ways 
Well, let me say this. There are two proper responses to a family member sinning against you. The first one, you might not imagine, you might not think of, maybe you do, it's to cover it with love and move on. Someone here sins against you. Don't, don't forget that love covers a multitude of sin. Not every sin, not every issue is worth or worthy of a confrontation. Most of the time, you can love, forgive, and move on and never have a conversation with that person. Typically in those cases, your brother and sister don't even realize that they have offended you. A love covers a multitude. Love covers a multitude of sin. Not to mention, sometimes they haven't even sinned against you. Perhaps you just took something the wrong way. But this is why, one reason why... is good for us to know what we have com- covenanted to, committed to in our church covenant, into caring for one another, but also not being quick to take offense of one another. So the first way is you can have thick skin and not let it bother you and love that person and forgive them without confrontation if you are able to. If you cannot, I didn't say hide it and hold on to it. I said get rid of it without confrontation. Being resentful without having a conversation is not forgiveness. The second way we touched on in Sunday school this morning is outlined by Jesus in Matthew 18. If your brother has sinned against you, go to him. But when you go to him, guess what you must be ready to do? Forgive. You don't go to your brother. You especially don't go to someone else and say, so-and-so sinned against me. You are just walked into sin yourself. If your brother or sister has sinned against you, go to them in hopes of reconciliation, ready to forgive. Now, if you're not a member of Ozarks Bible Church, if you're not a covenant member of this local body, you're missing out some opportunities to live this out. Um, theologically, we understand the local church is one that governs itself, okay? You might be thinking, where are we going here? We as Ozarks Bible Church, we govern ourselves. We make decisions ourselves. Right? We, we, we come together. We've been given authority as a body of covenanted members to appoint pastors, elders, deacons, to add and remove people from membership, to approve the direction of the, of the church and its ministry and its finances. But we're a family, right? And all of that, we come together with a difference of opinion. Or an indifference of an interpretation. And when we all come together to govern this body together, comes opportunity for disagreement and tough conversation and so on. But what does that bring an opportunity for? To bear with one another, to forgive one another, to seek forgiveness from one another. See, if you treat the church like you do a gym, I'm just going to go do my own good, but not be involved in the family business, the ministry of the saints, you're, fa- you're failing to be a full, to participate in the fullness of Christian brotherhood. You're not operating in a way that actually tests your love for the brothers. And then be strengthened in your love for the brothers. You've had siblings. If you had siblings, 
when is usually the best time you've had with your siblings? Right after a knockout drag out, right? After you made up. You grew in your relationship. It works the same way. We don't run from confrontation. We don't run from difficulties. But we run to the love of Christ and to love one another. Now I'm just going to stop and we'll finish the rest. We've got a few more passages to see what it looks like this evening. I want to give just a quick concluding statement. In my two years of being the pastor here, I can honestly say that I've seen us love one another well. I have. But I can honestly say I've seen us not. And I think if we're all honest, you would agree. Even if you've only been here for a week and you look upon your life and your time in other churches, you could probably make that same evaluation. You've done it well in some areas and done it poorly in others. So where does that leave us? I think it leaves us with two things. We will always have room to love greater. You understand? We'll always have room to grow in loving one another. So we don't get downhearted in saying, I can't do it, I don't do it. We have to understand that we can always grow, and that is the nature of sanctification. To grow in our love for Christ and for one another. We will always need to be seeking to repent of our lack of love. We will be doing it until the day Christ returns. But first, I must say, if you have no conviction of loving your brother, then we need to have a serious talk. Because you might lack loving Christ if you have no love for your brother. And the second thing is our love for one another will only go as far as our love for Jesus. Our love for one another will only go as far as our love for Jesus. And I think Paul's prayer is a fitting way for us to pray and conclude our time together. So would you bow with me? For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant to you to be strengthened with power through the Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, and the height, and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Let's stand and sing one final hymn together, number 91, The Love of God. Number 91 in the blue in the black book, The Love of God. May this time always uh, be our time of response to the Word of God, for there is no reason for us to hear the Word of God if we do not intend to respond to it. And that's why we so much put the word of God before us so that it will transform us and have an effect on us. And so I, I, I encourage you to respond to the word of God in this moment.
as you remain standing a few announcements if you look on the back of your bulletin I've got a, uh, the calendar going into April um, so next Saturday is our family night at 5 p.m. we're going to meet at Pizza Inn and then after we eat um, then we're going to go to bowling again that's paid for by the church uh, if you want to, to donate to it you sure can whether it be a dollar or however much it doesn't matter um, you're in it, all are welcome to come and to fellowship. Um, next, next Sunday, yeah, next Sunday. Man, March is over. Um, next Sunday, our fellowship lunch, and the theme is brunch. Um, you, you, I think y'all, I think y'all got. Yeah, we can. Y'all got it. Y'all got it figured out through your group text. Um, women's fellowship. Uh, the Saturday of the 1st of April. April 1st, Women's Fellowship. Um, you're probably going to be helping getting some eggs together, right? So ladies, um, families, if you are able to come to the Women's Fellowship and help with the eggs, if you want to bring a bag of candy, y'all can, ha- y'all can eat some, but you got to put some in some eggs too, okay? 
Um, and if we need to, we can actually do some more on the 8th. A lot of, a lot of things going on here. On our, We're going to have our church cleanup on the second Sunday uh, of April so that we could make sure things are picked up and ready to go for Easter. So church breakfast and cleanup is on the 8th this month of April. And then right after that is Palm Sunday. And then on Good Friday on the 14th, we'll have our Good Friday service and then Easter being the 16th. Men will keep meeting Tuesday at 5.30. I want you to understand something, and I didn't get to this. Family night, fellowship, lunch, women's fellowship, breakfast and cleanup, men's meeting. All of these things are to help create an environment that we can love one another. They're not busy things that we're just, we're not just trying to do things because churches do these things. We actually want to do things because they have a biblical basis of growing us in our sanctification and our relationships with one another. And so I highly encourage you, if you can participate in these things, do so so that you can get to know one another and then therefore care for one another spiritually. That's the purpose behind all of this. It's just a big scheme to get you to love one another. (laughs) So it takes time. I understand. I get it. Uh, But it is God's will for us as his people to love one another. And so we will continually seek to grow in that and to learn from Christ. Uh, That's it. That's all I have. You got something? Yeah. What do you got?